Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication, and tickets are on sale now. The first early bird discount will be available until August 22nd. For more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. Today, we welcome Carolyn Martin, co-owner of South Africa's multi-award winning Creation Wines. As a third generation wine estate owner, Carolyn has wine business running through her veins, having served her first customer at the early age of five. In this episode, we talk about how a customer-first approach has created an unparalleled experience, what fine wine means to Carolyn, and how collaboration has been key to their DNA from day one. Let's get into it. Good morning, Carolyn Martin. How are you? Excellent. Yes, wonderful. Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm so glad to have you here with me. You are in the middle of winter in South Africa, where I am broiling here in Barcelona right now. Uh, and you were, you've just come off the heels of quite a big event there um, in Stellenbosch. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Arani uh, annual event, the think tank gathering, where you've had a big focus on what is fine wine and what are the um, challenges and, in fact, the opportunities that we're facing going forward. So now, please proceed. So one of the things you have to do, Pauline Vicard, has you work together collectively on defining fine wine. Yes, I think, uh, you know, for me, it was just wonderful to be part of this summit on fine wine. And it's really, we, you know, one of the things that we had to discuss was, you know, what is the definition of fine wine? And I think this is something that's really difficult to put out there. Um, I had to write up mine. And for me, the ethos is really, it's about culture and provenance. And it's really all about um, character and personality. And I really want people to enjoy authentic wines that have traceability and, you know, that have exclusivity. Wines which offer elegance, finesse, and really great quality. And, I mean, this has been the ethos of Creation Wines from day one. Like, this is not a pivot or a change for you or how you've built the brand. What what does all of that, you know, they're, they're great words that we use in trade, but when I'm sitting in the customer space, when I'm standing in a shop trying to buy, or I'm, I'm trying to recommend something to my friend, what does that mean from a, a consumer perspective to have traceability and authenticity and integrity in, in what we do? Um, I think really it's about traceability. And I think that's one of the great things about South African wines is that we have this amazing ability through the wine of origin scheme to actually you know, have site-specific registration to know that, um, you know, what we say is 100% authentic really is. And we've set, you know, benchmarks on, um, on, on global sustainability from that point of view. I, I, one thing that has always intrigued me about the South, about the South African wine market, and I will admit I'm not an expert on it by any means, uh, is that it feels like it has really gained cachet externally at very rapid pace over the past sort of five to seven years. Was this part of a concerted effort? I mean, you know, did you come together as a region and say, we must cooperate to build our our national and our regional brand in our export markets? Or was it serendipitously a, a series of producers and it just came together? So it's quite interesting. I think, you know, um, one of the things that um, we need to understand is that, you know, there is a diaspora of South Africans living around the world. And so I'm kind of going to look at this from a consumer point of view and really just say that what we find is, you know, these are um, incredibly um, 
you know, there are amazing South Africans around the world when you think about some of the inventions and some of the people that are out there. But there is this real feeling of nostalgia in a way for our country of birth. I mean, I think we all have that. And I think, you know, they love sharing these discerning wine buyers um, who are interested in discovering the world of fine wines are also um, wanting to share their discoveries uh, with friends and family and with colleagues. And so this diaspora of South Africans, I think, through this feeling of nostalgia, they want to connect with the country of birth. And one of the ways that they do it is through the wonderful fine wines that we produce in South Africa. I spent 25 years in New Zealand, where, of course, we've got exactly that population that you're talking about, where that feeling of home, the, the proliferation of South African food stores, of, of South African cuisine. So I think that's really interesting to, to identify the diaspora as like your early network. How do you then translate that or transfer that into those drinkers being brand advocates? So someone in New Zealand uh, has a, a premium bottle, has a bottle of Creation Wine, and now they're going to go out and talk about how fabulous you and your culture is. What have you had to put in place for that? So various things. I mean, during lockdown, we obviously did a lot of virtual and hybrid tastings when we couldn't connect with people um, directly, you know, and actually see them face to face. And I think that gave us a chance to make sure that, you know, we kept our relationships with our customers and with our guests that would normally visit the farm. And I think the other thing that is just wonderful is our tasting room. So our tasting room creates this amazing opportunity. So when people do visit, we create these curated experiences. And the most important thing for us is actively listening to our guests that visit and co-creating with them and actually developing new experiences, um, getting feedback from them. And so that's such an important part of who creation is in terms of our innovation. Do you have a big staff in the tasting room? We do have quite um, quite a big staff. And, you know, it was really hard during lockdown. We have um, 50 people that work in wine tourism between our kitchen wow. and, um, yeah, between our culinary team and the tasting room. And I think, you know, what we really had to think about during lockdown, because we were totally sort of annihilated, if you like, by the lockdowns, um, Absolutely. From a government point of view. And so we had to think about how do we, you know, how, how do we manage um, sort of people's mental and um, well-being during lockdowns, you know, the toll that it took COVID on all of us. And so one of the things that we did was we focused on leadership training and, um, you know, tried to create a more resilient team and actually did a lot of um, skills transfer. And we worked together with nutritionists and psychiatrists and psychologists. and Really? Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty incredible, really. But what this did was it really pulled the team together and it created a much happier, healthier environment. So that's fascinating because um, one of the things I wanted to ask is, you know, how do you train your team to be an active listener, you know, to actually hear the the obvious, but kind of understand the non-spoken messages that you're getting from the consumer. And I guess this goes back for, to me, to what you're saying about culture, that if if you're supporting them and they fully understand what the brand is, then the likelihood that they're going to want to pay attention is so much higher, right? Than if you're just churning through 24-year-olds who are trying to get some hospital experience, you know, that that model of of uh, of keeping a tasting room going. So that that's super interesting to me in um, in all of that, the, the Zoom work and the, the virtual tastings um, that you were putting on. It would seem to me like that that's actually a really good, unexpected uh, moment to even onboard more of the South African diaspora to your to your audience you know people who maybe had been away for a while hadn't really thought about it but because they too were in Huntington Beach and Barcelona and New Zealand they're all locked down and they're going back to their roots did you see a, a growth in new um new South African audience from abroad during during lockdown 
Yes, it was quite interesting. Um, it was a South African audience. And then I think it was also other people that were not South Africans that kind of wanted to see what we were doing around the world. We tested in nine countries. Um, I think it was in one week. Um, and um, I personally tested with about four and a half thousand people online during lockdown wow. in a year. And uh, the rest of the team, we trained our team as personal shoppers. And so everyone that um, wanted to purchase uh, wine or purchase an experience online had the chance to then engage with that personal shopper for them to do a presentation of the wines to um, yeah, our guests online. Wow, that's fascinating. I, I want to come back to that, but I want to ask some questions um, about the tasting room and specifically the tastings, because this is something that you personally are very well known for constructing and the brand is recognized for that you've got, you know, series of evolving tastings. Um, I, I read in doing my research that most of your produce, it, most of the ingredients that you use um, are local. So. One of the things that we do is 80% of our ingredients are taken from within 80 kilometers of the creation tasting room. And we are very clear that we want to use sustainable ingredients. So we will not use any fish that are on the orange list or the red list or anything like that. Everything has to be sourced sustainably. And I think what is um, really fantastic is to see the excitement, you know, with which um, clients um, engage with these dishes. So it's traditional um, cuisine, but in a way innovated quite considerably. So I think the other thing about our food at the tasting room is all of our menus are um, inspired to make sure that we kind of, well, the, the latest menu that we're working on is inspired by Ayurvedic um, way of life. And it's about keeping your blood sugar level low and your energy levels high. So it's really about thinking about our guests that visit the tasting room. So it's not only about pairing wine and food, but it's about thinking about the well-being of our guests as well who come to visit us through the experience that they have and also through the menu that we offer them and the, the way that we actually, the sequence in which um, that menu is enjoyed. Are most of your guests locals or... Are, do, are we seeing international tourism resume? Um, so for the last, well, since, since 2020, um, since COVID struck, uh, actually, yeah, 20, 2020, mm -hmm. March, March 2020, 2020, March the 27th, down. yeah. Um, that was yeah. for us um, the day. Um, we, you know, the recovery has really been through the local market and they've been amazing um, in supporting us. And I think uh, we've actually gained a lot more South African customers. So our market has developed and that's been exciting to be, to have that support. And then we do slowly start to see visitors um, from overseas visiting now. So that's quite exciting. There are quite a few Americans who are visiting us at the moment and British, and they are visiting Hermanus, which is, we're very close to the ocean, lots of beautiful whale watching and marine biodiversity. And you can see the big five of the ocean here, and then they go to see the big five um, up in Nelspreet or in the Kruger um, to see the other animals. Nice. And that's a wonderful thing to do. And it's really cool. And a lot of them are traveling um, with um children and teenagers as well. And I think that's so important for us. We strongly believe that the intergenerational experience um, is such an important part of the development of fine wine that children learn to appreciate uh, fine wines with their parents um, in a responsible way. And what, actually, you did? yes, yes, I tasted my first wine when I was three. And I have to tell you, I think I've, I've never been really intoxicated in my life. I've always enjoyed great wine. But, um, you know, because I didn't grow up with prohibition, I didn't kind of have that fallover situation at 16 or 18. Um, I just really understood and appreciated fine wine and have enjoyed it since. 
So the, the return of international tourism is a really nice circle back to the Iranian event, because I know that you had an influx of both wine and non-wine, extremely clever thinkers who came. I've heard quite a lot of very positive feedback about it. Um, as you were there representing not only creation, but South Africa, what were the things that you were hearing most, what, that, that the attendees didn't know, didn't expect to find? Like so I think, you know, it's interesting to see what's happening in South Africa. There are a lot of traditional fine wine markets that are recognizing South Africa as a foreign investment opportunity. And so that was quite an eye opener. There was some, wow. there was some foreign wine producers there that were like, oh my word, I just don't understand why I haven't been here already because we kind of see this as huge potential really. And so, you know, I think that's really interesting. I, I, th I do believe that the rest of the world's done its homework and, you know, that we have been identified as um, a fine wine um, producing region of the world. And I think we just need to have the same confidence um, really to take up that same mantra because I don't think everybody has the confidence to do that. I think we should be less coy and more confident about, you know, how South Africa does produce fine wine. We've got an amazing climate um, where de depending on which region you're looking at, but relatively stable weather conditions, you know, by comparison to some other areas of the world, which are regarded as fine, as fine wine areas. Um, just as an, as an example, you know, one in six vintages might be tough for us in South Africa and one in six might be brilliant somewhere else in the world. Um, and, and that's one of the things that actually got us out of COVID. We could produce um, great Sauvignon, Chardonnay and Pinot when other regions in the world really struggled due to, you know, climatic impact. Um, I think that um, sort of fine wines in South Africa definitely bring a halo effect to the whole industry. And so, you know, very important in terms of um, the way that that positions brand South Africa. And I think that, you know, we are continuing to raise the bar in terms of our winemaking and grape growing excellence. We are working with scientists um, around the world and um, with viticulturalists, and we are working on projects at Creation, for example, we're working on the Climavin project with Stellenbosch University. We're working with Gen Z on our new plantings for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, um, checking on the right um, clonal material. Um, so doing an enormous amount of work. Um, we're working with Beta Global as well. Um, so scientists looking at, for example, um, you know, could there be latent viruses that might appear when climate change, if climate change happens, things like that. Um, so interesting. Yeah, it's quite uh, fascinating. And um, I think what's happened is that the world of fine wine has sort of come together and um, decided through summits like this wonderful summit that uh, Pauline has established to really find ways to collaborate and co-create rather than um, all the competition and competition um that Absolutely. was there yeah realizing and also realizing that we have to you know like we have no choice but to pull together um you mentioned something that i thought was interesting so you said you know that you need to be a little bit that that's brand south africa needs to be a little bit more confident and i would assume assertive in how we voice how awesome we are um do you have a, a tall poppy culture there you know is there that reticence to declare or to openly be the best at something we have that in new zealand i think it yeah we definitely do have that culture everyone you know it was so interesting for me to to move from south africa and to live in london for 10 years um i realized that you know one had to be more assertive and that it wasn't you didn't have to be liked by everybody, but you had, you know, and, and there was a way to communicate that was actually a positive way that actually, you know, helped, um, helped the group and helped you, um, sort of establish yourself. And I think, so it was a very different, um, concept. Um, I'm just trying to think of what the, um, there was a book that I read. Um, I'm going to think about it now in the eighties. And it was, it sort of just described different cultures and how different cultures operate. And 
with yeah. in South Africa, the onion ring is sort of, it's not the center of the onion. They want to be friends with everybody, but they're so scared to kind of stand out from the crowd and actually, you know, um, tell everyone that um, they are really capable. And I mean, let's face it, South Africans yeah. are, you know, as a workforce overseas, I think prized because of the level of hard work and commitment that they put Absolutely. into what they do. And also, you know, their passion for what they do and, um, and their capabilities actually as well, because we, we often face adversity here. We, we don't um, live in a nanny state by any means, you know, and so we have to overcome things which other people might find quite tricky to manage. And somehow we always make a plan and we find a way through. And I think that there is a lot of optimism. Um, and so we just need to be more assertive about, you know, um, and confident about the quality of our amazing produce. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly to what you said. Um, I'll tell a personal story in a minute about that. But the, the reason on, on the tall poppy thing that I'm curious about this is because this is a, a an issue, an actual like communications and marketing issue that we see that divides the world between the Americans and the non-Americans. Because Americans are kind of like, you're raised from birth to we're loud and we understand personal branding. And American will walk in a room and be like, yes, I'm the best at whatever it is I am, whether they are or whether they, they're not. Whereas the rest of the world, even the UK, that's just not, that's not part of our norm. I mean, you know, we, we would get laughed out of the room if we walked into some of these, I'm the best that's ever been. Um, do you find that that's a challenge when you are working with the American markets that, you know, here you are, I mean, you have an amazing pedigree as a winemaker. You could very much stand in that room and be like, well, I rock at this thing, but I'm, I imagine that's probably not your personality in, in dealing with them. How does it work dealing with those big, ambitious, loud markets? So, I mean, I think, you know, we have something to learn from everybody. And I think one of the things that we can learn from the Americans is to be more confident in what we're doing. And I also think it's wonderful. I had a wonderful conversation with Honor Comfort, who's the vice president of the Californian Wine Institute. And one of the things that we discussed was how important it is to have, for example, for South Africa, a wine visa and perhaps have wine visas for the world. We think that, you know, that would give people um, a huge, not only sort of development in terms of skills transfers, but actually in life skills um, development, um, just to be able to go to other cultures and, um, you know, make wine in other places, but actually see how other countries operate and um, get, you know, gain the confidence really that they need to be able to talk about their product and about themselves in a really positive way. And so I Amazing. think that that is so important. You know, I think brand America is, is this great brand. And, and the problem with brand South Africa is sometimes that we feel like we need to apologize for everything that sort of doesn't work in our country. But what we should really be doing is talking about what does work in our country. And as I said, one of the great opportunities for us is that we have an amazing workforce who are very dedicated to what they're doing. We have incredible scientists. We have wonderful weather conditions. We have a lot of land that is available that is suitable for agriculture. And we have, you know, um, just we, we have the knowledge, the passion, the know-how, the the hardworking culture here to give all the resources. We have all the resources. Give all the makings to make it to make it work and to and to make it keep working. Yes. It could help, you know, for example, there are other wine regions in the world where it's difficult to find labor and it would actually benefit um, those regions as well. Other fine wine producing regions where um, our, you know, people would be so happy to actually be able to have a chance to go and maybe work for three months um, in the vineyards or um in the wine, in the cellar, you know, to gain experience and uh, to be able to actually support each other. And I think that there is a huge opportunity there if we can create, like you have a tech visa, actually create a wine visa. It's a huge disadvantage for many South Africans 
to not be able to travel easily because of visa requirements. What are the issues specifically that you're referring to? Because I don't know, and I imagine there are a lot of people listening who don't know the challenges of the South African visa requirements for them to be able to go and work in the US, New Zealand, Australia, France, UK, whatever it might be. So I think it's about really, you know, um, having being able to get a work visa in an easy way. And that's why I think a wine visa would just mitigate that issue to be able to say, okay, for, um, you know, maybe something like a hundred, uh, I, I don't know, 120 days a year or whatever, you, you are able to travel to any wine country in the world to be able to, if you're a wine professional, to be able to fulfill specific tasks that are required there. And then also to be able to do the, the inverse. So for um, other winemakers from around the world and viticulturists to easily be able to travel to South Africa and actually help the fine wine business here, again, through skills transfers, you know, especially youngsters from America, from France and from Switzerland, from all over the world who want to come and work during the harvest here. Um, so I think we just need to create a wine visa like a tech visa because we really need that for our industry. If it's going to make a big change, it's going to be that that is going to sort of take um, fine wine, I think, to the next level in terms of cooperation and collaboration. Going back to brand South Africa, brand America, whatever it might be. I'm fascinated because you grew up in a wine family. You flew the coop. You went off to the UK. And in the course of your work there, you started a design agency in London in the 1990s. Um, you did do work with uh, with that agency for wine brands, including some family wine brands. How did all of those lessons of owning a design agency, of working in communications, specifically in the finance world, inform the starting choices that you made for Creation Wines? I, I think, you know, what was really exciting was we did so much innovation brand development in the UK. And I was really fortunate that I worked for what was, well, to begin with, I worked for G. Rogerson, which was at the time Europe's largest financial corporate communications company. And I got to work around the world on share offers and things like that. And we worked together with organizations like Imagination and, you know, Sean, huge, the logos that I created were all over the buildings in Spain. They were in Madrid and Barcelona, um, these um, identities that I created. And you got to see your work in the great big wide world. I got to see. Very gratifying. Yes, it was amazing, um, especially yeah. sort of in my mid-20s to, to see that. And what was really also incredible was that opportunity to work with those other organizations and to see the potential innovation that could happen working with companies like Imagination and with Burson Marcella and MNC Saatchi. So we were very much the design part, but those sort of collaborative meetings were just so such an eye opener for me. And I think one of the most um, exciting things that um, happened for me was there were sort of two key things. One was developing the first innovation center for 3M in the world in our business. Um, and that was really about understanding, you know, the life cycle of innovation in a way and um, the different types of innovation. And so that was really great to see how you can bring technology together with marketing and um, with real products and how you can actually take that to another level and create new wonderful products, which are of benefit to people. And I think that has sort of stood us in good stead in terms of the innovation that we do at creation every day and also the way we think and the way that we work. I also enjoyed working with Lauren Perrier very much. Um, that was really wonderful. And I enjoy drinking it. Does that count? <laughs> Absolutely. Don't we all love champagne? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's face it, you know, that is just, that's the, the good stuff, isn't it? Um, and what was wonderful about that was really realizing how you could sort of co-create, you know, because we did interesting projects with, um, with the Chelsea Conrad flower show and with, you know, fantastic furniture designers. Um, and I, I'm just trying to think it was Conran we did 
the work with. And so a lot of collaboration, I would imagine in your case now, how you go out and you listen to your customers, because so much of design is really having big ears, you know, and listening to what people are saying and, and how it fits into their lives. Um, for, I mean, I'm going to assume, and I'd love to discuss this, that with that background behind you, you are not marketing averse. Uh, in wine, we can sometimes have challenges where some brands really just don't want to embrace marketing. For me, it was it, marketing was, you know, mar marketing is, is you can have the greatest product in the world, but unless people actually know about it, um, it you know. <laughs> What's the point? And and I think you know. Um, so, just sort of going back to the uh, work with Lauren Perrier, one of the things that we did was we did this fantastic trade show at the Café de Paris in London, and we paired all of their famous brands with amazing food. So, Petit Fours from La Gavroche with Tokai wines, and fantastic caviars with the Grand Dame champagnes, and Gravelax, wild salmon Gravelax as well. And then things like Iberico Jambons with um, Vega Sicilia. And it was just so, it was such an eye-opener to me. I mean, I've kind of grown up in this environment where I was, I used to be the gopher between the the garden and, you know, the tasting room um, when I when I grew up in Hartenburg, when I was little and I did my first tastings as well, when I was about five years old and I couldn't find my grandma. So, but I, I love the kitchen and the garden. And so the whole thing of food and wine pairing just sort of, really came together at that Lauren Perrier tasting. And it's something that I thought would be really interesting to showcase the provenance, you know, um, because I just saw how Iberico Jambon went with Vegas Sicilia, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so it was just like that kind of that light bulb moment kind of going, so this is what wine and food pairing is about. It's not only about people understanding and enjoying wine in a really, um, interesting way because normally wine and food go together so you know i think it's important just to put it together in a way that really just makes it exceptional and also use local ingredients and in a way kind of talk about the or showcase the cultural um authenticity of a place but innovated how are you adapting that now to issues around cultural palates and inclusivity vegetarianism veganism you know is this, are you having to sit there in the office and say, hmm, I need to create a vegetarian friendly dish? Or is this just always been a part of how you, what you've rolled out in your tastings? So interestingly, when I lived in London for quite a long time, I was vegan. And it sort of seemed to be. Oh, back in the day, yeah. you're a forerunner of veganism. <laughs> All right. Yeah, like 30 <laughs> years ago. Um, but what was interesting about, um, you know, um, coming to South Africa was, I found it quite difficult because it just coming back here um, 20 years ago, you know, it was just something that kind of wasn't really out there. Um, and so one of the things that we do at Creation is um, we follow an anti-inflammatory menu and then we have a vegan menu as well. So I'm not vegan anymore. I, I do eat, um, um, you know, I don't, I don't eat a lot of dairy. Um, besides goat's milk cheese and um don't worry none of us are going to yeah. judge you but i i eat um i yeah. eat fish and i eat um uh we've got amazing free-range chicken here and um lovely beef and springbok and um, so i'll eat um those things but i think what's really interesting is that um for the menu in the tasting room we try to keep it gluten-free relatively dairy-free and also sugar-free because sugar is sort of the main killer really um and we want to get away from sugar so um that's really important for us. And then we have a vegan menu as well. So people actually can um, choose whatever dish they want. And the vegan menu is just as glorious because I love those dishes. <laughs> um, and do you, do you message all of that? Like when you go out for advertising, communications, social media, you know, are you talking about the fact that we've got gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan menus, or is it, uh, is it subtly communicated? No, I th are you using that as a competitive advantage in your marketing? I think um, we do. I think we could use it more. I, I do think we could use it more. Um, yeah, I, you know, our wines are vegan. Um, it would be good to communicate more about uh, the experiences here. There are a lot of people that do know that and they are so excited 
um, the ones who don't when they come and they find that they are totally, you know, um, included in the whole experience. And the other thing that we do as well is we also have a non-alcoholic pairing because sometimes there's someone who's a driver or someone who's pregnant or someone who might be ill and on certain medication. And we just want to make sure that, you know, as a family or as a group of friends that nobody feels left out. And so they get to taste in all of these beautiful Riedel glasses. And what we've done is we've paired all the non-alcoholic pairings to the wines. And so they automatically work with the food. And it just means that everyone can enjoy themselves and nobody needs to feel like they are excluded. Well, it's such a good example about how wine consumption is so much bigger than that, you know, just the alcohol intake, right? I, I was talking with Tanisha Townsend, who was at the event. Um, I was talking to Tanisha Townsend after Vin Expo, and she was saying how she uh, really loves the non-alcoholic presentation that retains, you know, some of the ceremony of it, that you're not given a, you know, a dinky highball glass with a bit of orange juice in it, but you are served in proper glassware. I, I think that's fascinating. I, I Just in as a lesson for brands who maybe could add a bit of pizzazz to how they're handling their no-alc presentation and offerings on the menu. Um, so before we wrap up, I, I've heard this rumor about the purchasing of the land. Ah, yes. That, <laughs> Yes, that that you, you know, you weren't around. And I'll, I'll just add my little personal story. One day, many, many years ago, my husband came home with a brand new Mini Cooper. And I hadn't known he was buying a Mini Cooper that day. I never really loved the Mini Cooper. It was kind of loud, woke me up every morning <laughs> at 5 a.m. when he was leaving the house. And so that's what really stuck in my head when I was reading about how the creation land was purchased is that it was uh, much bigger than the Mini Cooper story. Yeah, yeah, actually it was. So JC and I were visiting my uncle who was the first winemaker to plant vineyards and make wine in the Himalayana. And um, we were supposed to be having a fish barbecue. Anyway, I saw the Land Rover disappear out the gate. And an hour and a half later, they came back and my husband announced that he'd just bought a farm. Um, creation had never been planted to vines before. In fact, the... How many acres? Um, How many hectares? So 60. Yeah. 60 hectares. Ooh, tiny farm. Tiny farm. Tiny yeah. farm. So tiny farm. the next day, he was so excited. He said, we have to go and look at this. So we jumped in the Land Rover and it was good that we were in a Land Rover because there was 11 kilometers of dust road with huge potholes to get there. Um, when we arrived, it was beautiful, but there was it was totally desolate. There were just a few sheep grazing on the land. And, you know, there was absolutely no infrastructure. Um, there were no telephone lines. There were no, there was no, there wasn't a building. There was no um, fresh running water. Um, that was, you know, it was, it was just, an incredible there was a vision there was a vision that's, there was there, 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 there was, was a vision. vision um but you know then my brother who's also a winemaker and my father came to have a look and they were all so excited they were just like jc you have just done the right thing i think what they had realized was the potential of the soils you know this incredible maritime climate that we have and we are sitting in this huge amphitheater of famous clad mountains so it's one of the most biodiverse wine regions probably in the world. It's just quite remarkable. And we have there were there was a huge big lake here as well, which is really useful for us. So a lot of water. Um, so we know that we're not in a situation where we are um prone to droughts. We're pretty drought resistant where we are. Um so one of the things was, you know, the, the challenges were kind of building and equipping um a world class seller without any infrastructure and also obviously planting all of those vineyards. So planting the vineyards was what we did first because that was the most important thing. And then building the cellar and then, you know, getting together um, this um, and assembling this really caring and very reliable team that we have because they are just remarkable. I mean, the average person has worked for us for five and a half years. So it shows you how they've actually sort of grown with us as the business has grown. And we have this, incredibly diverse team and the collective intelligence of the team is just remarkable. It is wonderful. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. So 
All I can say is, you know, transforming what was hardly more than a piece of fairly inaccessible land to a little piece of paradise um, and being able to showcase our award-winning Pinots and Chardonnays here to international wine appreciators um, has been quite a remarkable journey. Um, and I think, you know, what I, what Jesse was like, you think people are ever going to come to visit us? Like we in the middle of oh. nowhere, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, we're not that far away from, 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 from um, civilization. Hermanus is like 20 kilometers down the road. But, um, you know, for me, the future of fine wine is about venturing to the place where it's grown and um, discovering the terroir, actually feeling that, that breeze from the Atlantic Ocean on your skin in summer, um, meeting the people who actually, you know, raise the vineyards and um, who make the wine and knowing that the source is all that it says it is. You know, I think mm. it's so important to, to, to feel that and to see it and to know it. And to confirm that the brand that you support, you know, is committed to sustainability and really about the environment, the community, and about you. So when we, this takes us all the way back to the first topic, which was traceability. Um, how do you think that this creates either a coalescence or a divide between what we're referring to as fine and some, but not all, luxury brands. For me, fine wine has to be um, something which is authentic. And it, 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 you know, it, it might be a luxury for some people, but it, I think what's also important, and, and this has been something very important for JC as well, is that he feels that it, whatever we do, um, he's quite an egalitarian person, and he believes that, that people should be able to taste um, our wines and that they should be able to taste any of our wines um, that we make. And so, and then they should be able to buy the wines. And so we have different levels of wine. So it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive in a way that says, this is not for you. It's not. It, it, that being what lux what many luxury brands do. Yeah. So right. I kind of think what is really cool is that, you know, in our range, we have the estate range, which is really beautiful. Then we have the reserve range, which is single site vineyards. And then we have the art of creation, which is a pocket from within a vineyard. And very, and, you know, it's a, it's site specific within a site, within a single vineyard. And, and yeah. I think, you know, the opportunity there is for um, people to have a chance to um, enjoy an authentic um, and beautiful um, wine and wine of great uh, provenance and quality. But it, can, it also works in terms of perhaps, you know, how they, you know, what their budgets look like or what their, that particular event is that they're having. You know, some people might drink the art yeah, every day. And, meeting them where they're yes, at. Yes, some people might drink the art every day and others might drink the estate. <laughs> you know, it's just... And some of us are going to drink some on a Friday and some on a Tuesday. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. some at a wedding. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you did talk about your team mm. and we have talked about the history of the brand. Where is it going from here? You're you're coming out of pandemic. You're, you know, actively pursuing growth in terms of the product lineup, the tasting lineup, getting people back in the door. What are the next steps for creation? And how do you decide? Well, I think that, you know, we have, there is a great evolution in South Africa in terms of South Africa's consumer behavior. And I'm excited about um, especially some of the kind of maybe slightly more aspirational um, younger consumers. I, I, I think um, generation, um, Generation Z and Generation Y are really interesting, um, you know, because I find their input so fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so I know some people are terrified by Generation, you know, Z, uh, but I actually find Generation Z I very exciting. Yes, I've given birth to two of them. <laughs> I think too. they're fabulous, and they're going to save the world. Uh, I would much rather sit around with Gen Zers than I would probably with, um, you know, with my parents' generation. So yeah. So I kind of see that, you know. Um, that there are some really 
huge, um, there, there is some big potential there for us. Um, obviously, younger consumers kind of, they, they, in South Africa, they actually buy more expensive wines um, than perhaps some of the um, other generations. Um, they buy less perhaps than some of the older generations. But what is interesting is, um, and they kind of swap out beverages. So they, they're not necessarily, you know, just drinking wine, but they generally prefer wine to other beverages, but they do tend to swap out. But I think the opportunity for us is that we need to make sure that, you know, our wine experiences are really accessible, that they're fun, um, that they're interactive, that they're not full of stuffiness. They're devoid of stuffiness. And, th- and that's something that I really love is, um, and, and what people really enjoy here actually of all age groups is the totally curated experience that they have, which is so intergenerational. I mean, even for the kids, we have like an occupational therapist who created this play pack. And so the kids can play at the table with this play pack. And it's like, um, you know, really good from a sensory point of view. And then they can go and play in the playroom and there's a playroom, which is a sensory playroom for them. And um, they get to kind of create their own little waffle with their own, you know, things on it, which is a kind of keto waffle. And um, so the ki- when, when, when the kids are happy, you know, then the adults generally tend to be more relaxed. Um, and for the um, sort of teenagers, they love the whole shell phone experience and you know, taking the guinea fowl feather and stroking their um, facial nerve to stimulate their um, saliva glands, you know, to kind of stimulate their sense of taste and kind of stimulate their whole cranial, um, you know, their cranial synapses and how that links to, yeah. to, um, to their sensory organs. So it's, it's really, yeah, it, we have a lot of fun. I think it's really important to kind of um, have, you know, to, to, to have great wines, but to have fun with great wine and not to be so serious about it that you kind of just exclude a whole bunch of people. And it's just for, um, you know, it's, you know, just for collectors and it just sort of goes into a museum range and it just never gets drunk and it never gets enjoyed. And so, so most of the things that we are using in the tasting room really are to kind of link back to nature. So just as an example, um, the shells that we used for people to listen to their shell phones and see how it affects the wine that they're tasting um, are actually, um, you know, from the ocean. There are millions of them in the ocean here. They are periwinkle shells. And um, it kind of is, you know, a conversation about terroir and how the maritime influence affects the wines as well as actually kind of having that um, experience as well. And so I think, you know, it's fun because it, it just shows the impact of, uh, you know, on our senses of so many different things. And for example, the Ya'ara tree impact on our olfactory impact. So I just think it's yeah. really fascinating to actually see that, you know, and, and, and how we taste. And, um, so, and then, you know, just linking to the guinea fowl feathers, which we like, um, pick up here and then obviously um, we, you know, disinfect them or whatever, but, you know, and the porcupine quills that we use and taking them on that sort of whole journey of nature um, around them and linking them into that. It's just so important to kind of engage all the senses. I think that's, and it gives people a chance to tell a different story and for people to really connect with nature and creation is all about nature that's what to the inform memory yeah you know to to inform memory to the 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 cognitive uh impact of actually involving your senses in your learning and what that's going to mean for you know the this experience at creation for a younger person if they've involved all of these senses is going to be something that they're talking about easily for a decade because it actually embedded itself in what they know, as opposed to, let's face it, the number of tasting rooms that we go to, which is swill and spit, and it's the same thing. And they're talking to you about, you know, TA or whatever the hell it is. And then you get out the door and you're like, where was that place? What did we do? I don't remember anything about it. So, um, I, I mean, I think that that's a great lesson for anyone listening who, you know, are they're asking themselves, how can we be more inclusive? How can we make it more of a memory? You know, it has nothing to do with commodifying the product, but it does have to do with enhancing how we experience everything 
else that surrounds that product. It's like the wines we drink at weddings, you know, is a, is a great analogy to that. Well, we're experiencing the wedding. So we remember the wines, not the other way around. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, a, a great example for me was the E&O when I went to the English National Opera and I was taken by one of my um, French housemates when I lived in London. And, you know, that really kind of, in a way, uh, we did it. We, we went to a scratch and sniff opera. Um, it was um, for the love of three oranges. It was like, you know, uh, it was it was decades ago, but it kind of just connected me to opera in a way that I sort of never realized that I what would be connected to opera. I mean, I can opera. imagine, I, I can guess, but tell me what, what is a scratch and sniff opera? So you have this little card, you know, and um, sort of, you know, every time um, a cannon goes off or whatever, or there's a shot, you know, there's like you scratch on the flinty one and then you smell it and then you scratch on the orange one. And, you know, it, just, it was just like, it was like those scratch cards. This. And it was just like, Oh, wow. You know, so this is just one part of like, um, you know, um, some of the things that we do. Yeah. We have this beautiful, uh, porcupine quill, which has got this orange peel wrapped around it. And then we cut it off and give it to each person. And, you know, they, they have this lovely Viennier, Roussan, Grenache, um, uh, Blanc blend and they taste this beautiful wine and then they, squeeze this orange and then just sort of everything comes alive and it's like okay now i understand you know like this is where this is one of the aromas (laughs) that i'm picking up on i I know that i i know i've kept you for a long time but i can't help but ask how do you feel like lack of proximity when you started this south africa is so far away from you know i'm not going to say the rest of the world because that's not true but so far away from traditional wine old world california um how do you feel like that lack of proximity allowed you to just do creative things, to be different? You weren't entrenched in what all your neighbors were doing and how they talked about and sold their wine. Yeah. So, you know, in some respects, um, you know, there have been some comments about it from, from um, you know, neighbors sometimes what we do, but I what I really care about is um, our guests that visit us and the people that buy our wine. And the most important thing to me is that I'm doing something right for them and that, you know, um, I'm creating a beautiful experience for them. And we are now one of the most visited wine regions in South Africa. I think the third most visited wine region in South Africa, which is quite remarkable coming out of nowhere. And, you know, I think what's really important is that. I just feel inspired to kind of listen to our guests and actually think about ways of creating wonderment that really just excites them and actually helps them engage with that beautiful product and really um, helps them understand what terroir really means. For example, serving our um, crudités on a 450 million year old stone. I just think that that's so beautiful, like bringing the terroir into the tasting room and actually, you know, um, using it as a as a as a plate and kind of saying, well, this as a practical as, part. as a practical it's not part. an ornament. It's a practical part of the wine experience. Yeah. And you know, and how do we do yeah. that? We we bring and and also we've got this beautiful biome in the tasting room, which is also wonderful. Um, so people bringing nature into the tasting room. Creation is all about working with nature. It's about how do we work with nature. It's about how do we innovate. You know, how do we create a a more sustainable future through innovation and where do we go beyond that i think that's that is really important and for me going beyond that is about um also the work that we do in the community and i think that that's really important is how do we uplift um the community how do we uplift the people that that work with us um how do we create a better and brighter and more hopeful future for um the people around us and how do we, you know, leave a legacy from that point of view. I'd be curious to know how important are our awards for a brand like yours. So uh, awards for, for instance, the 2021 award that you won, but also how important are expert reviews, synopses, tasting notes, um, commentary for building the brand? I think very, you know, um, it's one thing for you to talk about yourself, but it's another thing for other people to talk about you. Um, and it's about building reputation, isn't it? And um, what is interesting is, of course, 
people have different perspectives on, you know, because of the amount of wine they taste and where they taste in the world. And um, so, so we really value people's effort and time in taking the time to do tastings with us and their opinion. And I think it's part of that listening process, you know, so there we're talking to wine um, professionals and wine experts. And in the tasting room, we're talking to guests and to consumers um, who some of them might be more experienced, some less, but it's always interesting to be listening and to be um, hearing what other people have to say. And I think that there are always opportunities for improvement. You know, for me, um, continuous innovation, um, small incremental in innovation is sometimes as important as, you know, big steps. So, um, yeah. And does that apply to both experts as well as awards? So, so the 2021 award coming off the heels of an absolutely diabolical year for South Africa wine in general, you know, um, what were the, did you see immediate impacts? Can you identify follow-on impacts? Because I know for a lot of my brands, and the reason that I would ask this is getting awards, like there, there's a cost in everything we do, right? Getting awards, getting the reviews, there's always time, money, and effort that goes into it. And sometimes it can be really hard for brands, both big and small, to understand, is this important to my audience? Is it important to us and our ego? Who where is this going to to move the the needle as it were so a little bit of insight on that and how you know what matters and how you make those decisions would be really helpful yeah so i think the most important thing for us is it is not it really doesn't have anything to do with our egos it has to do with consumers and um you know it's like an endorsement and there's nothing better than word of mouth it has been the case since time immemorial. That is what true advertising and marketing is. And so that's why we value these things so much. Um, but it's, 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 it's really not about us. Of course, we have this great, um, you know, feeling of elation when, um, something positive happens because it's always exciting for the team. And I think, you know, the awards are an incredible testament to the spirit of the creation team. Um, you know, how we are not only dedicated to building an innovative brand, but actually co-elevating each other. And for us, it's about getting across the finishing line together. At the beginning of COVID, I said to the team, this is going to be one of the toughest things that we've ever had to endure. And I had no idea how tough it was going to be. And I just said to them, you know, in the 90s, I got on this flight between Beijing and Shanghai, and we took off into a typhoon. And we actually thought that the plane was going to crash. In fact, three planes went down that year. And I, it was the most terrifying experience of my life. It was like going on the biggest roller coaster ride that I've ever been on um, with everyone just kind of historical. And I just said to them, it is going to be so tough. It's going to be like that terrible journey that I took, but there's just one thing that we need to do. And that is we need to get to the other side alive and be fine. And we're going to do it together. And so that was sort of, for me, the great opportunity that we have managed to achieve coming out of COVID. It's kind of like talking to a proud mom because, you know, you won an award and it may not be about ego, but there is a huge opportunity to just share that recognition and share the gratitude that comes with that. Because as you started with that story, it was a team effort to get through it and to have that year or those years culminate with recognition from the international community. Um, it, it's profound for morale building and for confidence and for loyalties. And, you know, within our team, like our teams are, are one of our most loved and hardest one resources. So to be able to share that with them, I'm certain was extraordinary after lockdowns and pandemic. Yeah, it was. They, 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 they could hardly believe it. And they were so excited. And I think, you know, we all need to use winning opportunities to elevate the status of the South African wine industry. And this is what it's really about. So those, those wonderful, you know, um, ratings and accolades by people like Greg Sherwood, um, and also um, the awards from Great Wine Capitals and from the world's best vineyards. This is what it's about. It's about, you know, how do we elevate the status of the South African wine industry. We, we must celebrate that. Absolutely. Carolyn, 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Polly. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening and a great big thank you to Carolyn for joining me today. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, the first early bird discount on tickets will be available until August 22nd. For more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.